Lord, thank you. Um, you have saved us, that you have made us um, at peace with you, loved, safe in your arms, and uh, have given us uh, lives that are free now to do great things and good things in your name. Uh, I pray you bless uh, my words as uh, we walk through your word in Psalm 90, and uh, I pray you'd use us to help more people find the joy and peace that is in you. Amen. Thanks to uh, Billy. I really appreciate uh, her words and Colin for leading us um, in worship and all the uh, other people who are uh, part of making sure those things happen, recording and all those things. Um, we're really blessed here to have to have a whole family, a team of people doing those things together. Um, I'm excited today. We're, we're in our series in Psalms, and um, we are in Psalm 90. Um, so if you're someone who likes to crack open a real paper Bible and, you know, get it in front of you, like, and take some notes, uh, crack your Bible open to Psalm 90. Um, otherwise, I'll have the actual words on the screen um, for us as we go through that. Uh, this... Um, we, we've been in this series of uh, in Psalms, and we're looking at Psalms is actually divided into kind of smaller books uh, that have uh, general themes in them. And we went through the first three, and now Psalm 90 starts the fourth book um, of the Psalms. And it actually um, fits. We uh, I was considering switching to something else because of what's been happening in the world around us. And uh, I opened Psalm 90 and read it as many Psalms have lament in them and have cries out to God for justice and peace and uh, for just things to be made right. And Psalm 90 fits so well. Psalm 90 takes place um, uh, uh, right as God's people are entering uh, or, or cry out from exile. So God's people have been uh, are, are out of their homes, or at least their homes have been taken over um, by uh, others. And so uh, what happens in the history of God's people is they continue to turn away from God, uh, turn to other things, and they become selfish. Uh, they don't treat people right around them. Uh, they don't worship God. Uh, they don't look to him. And so eventually God exiles them. They aren't home anymore. Um, and, and you can imagine what that feels like. Uh, I think we can imagine what that feels like to feel like you're in a world or a place that isn't home. There's something not right. We weren't created for this kind of a place. And um, this week has been a week, the last few weeks, where I felt an extra level of that. Things aren't right. This doesn't seem to be what we were created for. Um, and so uh, Psalm 90 fits well in, into that, and I think we'll be encouraged today. And it actually has really challenged me this week to to think through what does it look like to move forward uh, being in exile in the place that I'm in. That this isn't necessarily my end home, but what do you do now? And this psalm, uh, along with some other passages here today, will hopefully encourage us and remind us. And I'm excited at the end to give us a little challenge uh, for the day to do together. Um, so let's let's hop right in there and get into this. I'm excited for this. Uh, this pet this. Uh, Psalm 90 does start um, right after we, right as God's people are in this exile away um, 
from home kind of again, not where they they're supposed to be as we've seen in their history, the times when they've been in, uh, uh, we see in the beginning of the book of Exodus when they're in Egypt and they're actually enslaved there and uh, away from home. And again, they're an oppressed people in a land that is, is not theirs, not ruled by them. And Psalm 90 starts out really interesting when we understand that context. Before we even get to the first verse, one of the few times I've ever uh, preached the from like verse zero. I don't even know how to verse Psalm 90 verse zero. It says this is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So uh, in, in the Psalms, we've seen the different people, David, the sons of Korah, uh, Asaph last last time. And this is this is a prayer of Moses. So we don't necessarily know if Moses actually wrote this, but this is a prayer that's been at least passed down through generations uh, in this family of faith that says this is a prayer that Moses would pray. And this is really important, though, that we see this. When you're a people who are not in your home and you are ruled over by people and you feel oppressed and things aren't right and you're longing to be home again uh, and you hear the name Moses, it it brings all sorts of things to mind into your heart. It will remind you of how God did this before, right? The people of the Exodus were people who were away, were in Egypt, and Moses was the man that God chose to help bring his people out, who led those people out. So when you hear the name Moses, you think, oh, God has done this. He has brought people out of this slavery, this oppression, this being ruled by others. He's brought them back home. Uh, he's delivered them, that word Exodus, delivered them out. So just to even the start of 90, if you're feeling, you're in the middle of that, you're feeling, okay, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our God is the one who brought us out of Egypt, delivered us to our home, and now we feel again like we're in that place, and God is the God who can do that. So actually, uh, we start already, I think, with a little bit of hopefulness in this, just remembering, okay, We've been in a place like this before, and God has got us. So let's let's actually get into uh, Psalm 91, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It starts with a reminder that our God has been king and will always be king. Before even mountains were born, before you even brought forth the world, before the creation of where we are, in, in creation, you were already there. You always have been. There was God always and always will be. You are the thing that hasn't changed. You're the thing that is stable and not moving. And you're our rock, our foundation. And so... Uh, to start this psalm by remembering, God, you have been and you always will be and you are still on your throne and you are still, God, is so important. This week I was, um, I, I love the way this was said in, in George Floyd's, at George Floyd's memorial, Reverend Al Sharpton said uh, in, in the beginning of his um, uh, sermon or when he was talking, he, he made this statement, which for me, I had been reading Psalm 90 and then he said this and I'm like, he just summed up the beginning of Psalm 90. He says, there's a God that still sits high, but he looks down low and he'll make a way out of no way. 
this God is still on the throne. Hear that? There's a God who still sits high and he looks down low and he'll make a way out of no way. This God is still on the throne. That's like a, that's the gospel. We have a God who is high and powerful, but he still looks upon us, right? We know that he has sent, he sends Jesus when we think there's no way out of sin and death and he sends Jesus to make a way out. And that God is still on his throne. Uh, I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, so let's continue. Keep moving here. We start with that. Remembering how grand and good our king is, which is so important when we're in a place that feels like we're not home. And then this prayer moves to reminding us of who we are. It gets a little grim. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of morning. In the morning it springs up, but by the evening it is dry and withered. Do you see the comparison here at the end of, of verse 6? He says, we people are like grass that in the morning springs up new, but by the evening has dried and it is withered. Compare that to the to the beginning of this. Compare that to up top. Before the mountains were born, before you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, we have a God who has always been and always will be. And he's comparing here in this prayer, reminding us that we are, are, are like grass that springs up and then withers away. Um, this reminding us of kind of our place in this family, right? Reminding us that we often want to be the ones who are everlasting to everlasting. I can do it. I got it. I can, I can change everything and forgetting the king who is on high, who can do things. Let's continue to move here. In verse 7, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our, our sins, um, before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. This prayer is reminding that we have turned from God. We have worshipped things other than God many times ourselves. And God can bring those forth, those secret things, even that no one even knows. He brings to light and reminds us that we uh, are not perfect. And that, again, reminding us, comparing us to him in the beginning, uh, reminding us of how good he is. And hopefully, this seeing the sin reminds us of how much we need him. And that that's good. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We we finish our years with a moan. What a what a wild phrase, right? We finish our years with a moan, just a fade. We just fade out. Our days may come to seventy years or eighty if our strength endures. We might have seventy years or eighty years in us. Do you remember that though? God is everlasting to everlasting. Think of the blip that is 70 or 80 years. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This phrase, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, is a call to teach us. After thinking, you know, we don't, I mean, look, look around, right? That's why we don't feel at home. Things are broken. And, and things are broken from our actions. from our They come from our hearts and our motives. Um, 
The reason why in verse 10, the best of our days are trouble and sorrow are because we continue to turn from God from all the way in the beginning. When we see the first sin happening with Adam and Eve, we see them turning from God and turning to themselves. This trouble happens over and over. And as we look around, we're going to see that. And we can become discouraged and we can think there is no hope. And in verse 12 reminds us, we do have a God who can teach us to gain wisdom. And the wisdom looks like is turning to God and him directing our, our paths. And this is where this psalm is going to go. So verse 13, relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may also sing for joy and be glad all of our days. If we turn to the Lord, right, this relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on us. You can satisfy us in the morning with unfailing love. And we will sing of joy and be glad. Think of that phrase after we just heard this. Maybe we'll live 70, 80 years if we're strong. Our days are filled with sorrow and trouble. Things are broken. But we can turn to our God. And our God can bring us love. And not just love, we could actually be singing for joy because of our turning to him, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. So God, what you're doing, show us what you're doing and show the next generation what you're doing. And it ends with this. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. May God's favor rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, and it repeats it. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So the psalm ends with, may the favor of the Lord rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us, establish the work of our hands for us. It has an interesting flow. It goes, our God is king. He's always been and always will be. And then it reminds us of who we are. I think we are quick to move towards our action and us doing stuff. We can just do this. We can get it done. And if I can't, I'll, I'll turn to God. Hey, God, I tried really hard and this didn't get done. And it's reminding us that that's, gonna, that's not going to work. And that, and that we're fragile and that we wither and that our motives, even if we're unsure of them, even we have secret sins that we aren't even aware of. And that God can bring light to those. And in the end, our prayer must be asking God to put favor on us and establish our work. This word established, create our work. Similar to the language we hear in the beginning of this psalm is that he brought forth the whole world. He established the whole world. It's saying, God, bring forth in us the work of our hands. So create in us the work of our hands. I love how this, this psalm is framed. It's framed with God, you are king. You are on your throne. And God, we, we need you to establish the work we're going to. This is... Um, has really struck me this week because I am someone who uh, has been trying to lament well the things that are happening, trying to listen really well, try to continue to understand. But but I'm also um, a man who wants to just move. And I think part of that is just for the comfort of it. I want to stop feeling bad and I want to just move and do something. And maybe if I go help fix something or if I donate to something, or if I go down to the memorial and I pray then, then okay, I did something, now I can move on. 
and I'm done. Like, and then it's done. Justice has been brought because Drew walked down and put flowers on a memorial, right? I, I can be quick to want to move away from lamenting the whole middle of that psalm. I can move away from lamenting stuff is broken, there is sorrow and there is tears. And I can quickly move to Drew fixing things. And this psalm is reminding us, hey, when you're in exile, when we're not home and things aren't working, we must turn to our king who is good and turn to his kingdom, which is good. I, uh, th that sounds great. And actually, here's what's really sweet about scripture is that we have uh, not only a prayer to God reminding us of this, but we actually have a moment in scripture where these, the same moment where God actually talks to his people in exile. And so this cry, this prayer of Moses to God uh, uh, for, for these people in exile, they're like repeating this prayer of Moses while in exile. God actually in Jeremiah 29 talks to his people in exile and says, what does that look like then? What does it look like to establish the work of your hands? So he tells us a little bit of what that looks like. Um, it, it might be surprising. It, it, it's encouraging, challenging and encouraging to me. Let's read this in, in Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We don't always get this in scripture where there's a prayer, God, establish our, the work of our hands. Then he says, here's what that work looks like. Um, that clearly, right? Here's what he says to do in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Those aren't, those aren't um, quick things and those aren't um, things that cause you to hide or separate. He doesn't say separate yourselves and build like a commune where you can hide until all of this is done. He says, enter into communities, build homes, settle down. Become part of communities. In fact, not just become part of fam uh, communities, but become family in those communities. Actually, welcome people into your family from the place where you're in. Don't just have acquaintances become family, right? And increase in number, continue to grow. So it's the opposite of maybe this feel of like hiding, uh, excluding ourselves. He says, really move into this place. And then it says in verse 7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not, let, do not listen to the dreams you, they encourage you to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. Do not, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So what's that part at the end with prophets and diviners? That sounds very... Bible-y language. Those are people who came who were telling the people of God, this is going to go quick. Just hide, hold on. Don't talk to these sinners around you um, and just hold out because this should go quick. This will be over quick and just look to the day when you are home again and just hold on, right? And he's saying, he actually calls them out and says, do not listen to them. That is not true. You're going to be here for a while. Hold on. Uh, move towards people in your community and not just move towards them, but what if your mission was to bring peace and prosperity to the city that you were in, to the people that you were in? So 
you are representatives of the kingdom of God moving into a kingdom of, of darkness often, uh, of injustice often. And what we want you to do is instead of just hiding from that, defending yourself from that, what if we were the kingdom that marched in and brought peace and prosperity and justice to our city uh, and, and welcomed them into our family? And what a what a call for us today. Um, that what does it look like to establish the work of our hands is to be people who move in and bring peace and prosperity. And see one of the things he says in verse seven, pray to the Lord for it. How often do we say, you're king, you're the one who has the power. Please, please bring peace and prosperity. Often my prayers can be for me. Please help me, defend me, keep those people away from me. What a great call. So we're, we get to hear in Psalm 90, this reminder of God as king and say, yeah, establish the works of my hand. And then God says, this is what it looks like. Like become part of this community and bring peace and prosperity as a representative of my kingdom. As if we went to the throne of God, as we walked up the steps of his castle uh, and walked into his throne room and he knighted us with the sword. You know, he does the thing over the shoulders and he says, now go and bring the great news of a God who loves them, of peace and prosperity and justice to the people around you. Uh, that's a different thing than me saying, I'm going to put on my boots and I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to bring peace and prosperity as the kingdom of Drew to our community. It's not going to work. And this passage connects, uh, for those who are here in the beginning of our uh, church uh, and continued, we have been uh, praying this passage, Acts 8, for years now. I've been praying this over our city uh, in Columbia Heights and um, that we would be a people who bring great joy to our city. And this is a, a sort of another version of this Jeremiah 29. For those who had been scattered, preached the word where they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to him. So Philip, they get scattered, which actually is a... Uh, another term that actually is often used in Exodus, or almost scattered throughout different cities, exiled to different places. Philip goes into Samaria, and there he proclaims the Messiah, the one who truly brings peace, who truly brings prosperity, who has conquered Satan and sin and, and has brought uh, life, right? Who, who is the kingdom of God and light and goodness and love. And, he, and people pay attention. And then what happens? Because that kingdom has moved into town, uh, there's shrieks of impure spirits who come out of many. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. There's healing in their city because the kingdom of God has moved in and pushed out the kingdom of darkness. And what happens from that? There's great joy in that city. If, if we want to see justice and peace and great joy in our cities, we move as as representatives of our king who's the one who really brings those things we uh this weekend we're watching a movie and i love this imagery in this movie we're watching uh the movie uh prince caspian which is from c.s lewis's book uh prince caspian um and at the end there's this battle this great battle against the the bad guys right and the and uh the narnians and um and so at the end there uh this huge battle's happening and the bad guys are running and they run to this bridge that's over this river. 
and they're about to escape the Narnians. Uh, and you think, oh, they got away. And they get to the bridge and they're all on one side of this bridge. Um, and uh, they look across the bridge. This is it. This is their, this is the kingdom of darkness can move across this bridge. And what do they see across the bridge? Uh, that there's just this massive army, right? And across the bridge is a girl, a young girl, Lucy. And she slowly pulls out a dagger. So you see on one side of this uh, bridge, this army that seems, I mean, it's enormous, right? With all their weapons and their armor and their horses. And there's a girl with a dagger. So they kind of look at each other. You think, this is a silly battle. A girl with a dagger can't defeat an army of, uh, uh, of strong adult uh, men that are going to fight, right? And then and the next thing you see is Aslan walk up next to her. And if you know the story, Aslan is the creator of all of Narnia. He's a Jesus figure in this, right? He, he uh, has come thousands of years before this. He came and defeated the White Witch and uh, brought goodness and light and freedom to the Narnians uh, and defeated evil, right? But apparently the, the people across the bridge are unaware of this, unaware of the story. And so they just see a lion and a girl with a dagger and they think, charge, right? And they scream charge and they run across the bridge towards her and then Aslan lets out his you know, mighty Aslan roar. And now it is Aslan, the king of Narnia, the creator of Narnia, who has all power over all things, roaring at this army, and they stop on the bridge. There's, I'm sure there's a sense, right? They know, oh, I think we might be in trouble. And then Aslan's roar summons the waters to rise up in this water creature thing rises up and like blows, it's amazing, blows the bridge apart and actually eats, I don't know how that works, the water eats the one guy and uh, he disappears. It's fantastic. It's this really cool scene and you're cheering, you're on your couch and you're like, yes! Um, because Aslan comes back. Um, it, it, I'm reading Psalm 90 yesterday and then I'm sitting with my kids and we're watching this movie and I'm tearing up. They're like, Dad, this isn't sad. It's, it's a movie. What are you doing? I'm like, it's so good. It's so good. Because it reminds me of Psalm 90 because I often walk into battle against injustice, against brokenness, against chaos against just sin and darkness in my family or my marriage or my in my community. And it's me and a dagger. And I'm like, We're, I got this. I could do this. And I forget that I Aslan is standing next to me and he, he's the one who roars, right? And so um, as we kind of wrap up here, this is my encouragement to you and challenge to you. How often are we fighting a fight not established by our king, but established by ourselves with a dagger. That we're standing alone with a dagger, forgetting that we're standing with our king. 
Do we call upon our king to establish our hands or are we calling upon ourselves to establish our hands? And are we calling upon God to establish all of us? God, establish the work of my hands, my lips and what I say, my ears and how I listen, my feet and where I go. Are we going to be alone with our daggers or are we going to be knighted by our king who has very strong opinions about injustice and bringing peace and love and joy to our communities? Enough that he would send his son to die on a cross so that we could have justice, that we could live and that we could fight the darkness in our communities. I pray that we would be people who would ask God to establish those words and that that great lion would stand beside us as we fight. Um, lastly, as we uh, wrap up here, I um, had an experience this week I wanted to share with you. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a minute here. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to take communion. If you have communion supplies, bread and juice with you. Uh, just to remember that great moment when King Jesus destroyed sin and death. Um, First, I want to share something with you. Uh, it may be a challenge to you. This week, I had the opportunity to walk with hundreds of other clergy in Minneapolis. We walked um, to the George Floyd Memorial. Uh, it, was, it was a powerful experience for me, something unique I had not done before, in that we met and all the African-American clergy and, and leaders in our community led our group. So hundreds of them led, uh, and we got to follow as a symbolic uh, way to say we're with you, we're behind you, but also as a group of hundreds of people praying, we we did it in silence. So we walked, uh, we we're blocks and blocks long of people um, praying, and there was something powerful about us walking because we were not walking alone. We were walking and praying, knowing that our King was with us. He cared about our city and is the one who can bring peace and justice and, and cure, has cured sin and death. And um, it, was, it was impactful uh, for many of us to get that opportunity, but to, to walk silently and know I can be silent and, and God is still on his throne.